This is the Weather Lounge here at Weatherworks. Well, hello there, everyone, and you know what? It's time to drop another fresh podcast here in the Weather Lounge. I'm your host, meteorologist Brad Miller, and once again, our podcast comes to you from our Weatherworks home office located here in Hackettstown, New Jersey. And joining me, as always, is my ferocious co-host, meteorologist Mike Mahalik. Roar! Hello there, Mike! Oh, my gosh. (laughs) What? (laughs) What is with you, man? I don't know. Uh, you are uh, getting out of hand with these well, introductions. I'm trying to drop hints here. All right, all right, all right. Let's let's go with this. All right. Okay. Mike, do you like animals? And have you ever been to the zoo? And by the way, there's only one right answer here. Well, you know what? I do like animals, and I have been to the zoo. Um, however, my wife hates animals. Um, no pets, nothing. And that's the way she grew up. So, um, yeah, so we don't have any animals in the house except for uh, beta fish. Except for you. <laughs> Well, well, yeah, I guess you can call me one or maybe like my son. He's crazy like now. Yeah, yeah, well, so, yeah, my kids are crazy too, but um, um anyway. All right, well, you know what? That brings us then to our guest for today, and she comes to us from the Lehigh Valley Zoo. And uh Sherilyn Vatalaro, welcome to the Weather Lounge. How are you doing this morning? Good. How are you? I'm doing great. So, uh, Sherilyn, uh, how do you want to be called? I mean, I know we have a, you like, I see share sometimes. Is that okay to, to go with that? Yeah. Uh, yep. Share is great. That's kind of, um, the easier one to go with. Perfect. And we're not talking about the singer. No, and I can't (laughs) sing. So don't ask me to try that. (laughs) So anyway, uh, Sherilyn, um, I'm sorry, share. Um, so, at the Lehigh Valley at the Lehigh Valley Zoo, you're the director of conservation education. So, what is that all about? Um, so I am I kind of run our education department at the zoo. Um, so this department we do like a pretty wide variety of things. Um, if you come to the zoo for a field trip, or the zoo comes out to your school or to your organization, um, that's our department. Um, we develop all the programming, write all the curriculum for the school programs. Um, we do all the booking for the school programs. Um, and we also do all the handling and training of the animals that we use for these programs. So they're different than the animals that you would see when you walk around the zoo. Um, and that's because they're handled differently and they're used differently. Um, so they're the ones that you would meet a little bit more up close and personal um, when you would do a special program. Gotcha. So um, many of our listeners are probably wondering to themselves, like, well, why are we talking to somebody at a zoo? Uh, (laughs) Because we're typically a weather podcast, but that's where we kind of wanted to bring you in because we wanted to talk a little bit about how the weather affects uh, zoo animals or, you know, even some household pets and stuff like that. We thought it might be an interesting subject. I mean, you know, everybody's got a story about how oh, well, their their dog starts acting weird if a storm comes in or their cat hides under a couch if uh, something's about to go down. and Like earthquakes, um, too. Right. So we thought it would be great if we can get somebody who's an expert like you, Cher, um, to talk a little bit about how the, the weather impacts animals. Yeah, and this actually is great because we do get a lot of questions like that um, when people come to the zoo. So it might not seem like a relevant thing, but it, it definitely is, and it's definitely something that a lot of people like to learn more about. So Brad, why don't you uh, kick it off with one of our first questions uh, for Cher here? All right, well, well, we'll go right on down the list here. We had uh, some, some great topics here to discuss with Cher, and uh, so I, I guess the first one we can, as we're, you know, we're actually, we're changing now into spring or the winter is holding on as long as it wants to this year. But uh, how do the changes in the seasons affect the animals and like, how do they cope with winter and snow versus like maybe even when we eventually get into some hot, humid weather in the summer? Um, so that's a great question. Um, and it kind of depends on the animal. Um, so a lot of people will come to the zoo and we have penguins at the zoo And if it gets too cold, they actually go indoors. So that's counterproductive or counterintuitive to the one a lot of people think, because you think penguin, you think cold weather. Um, But majority of penguins, there's 18 species, majority of them actually live in warm climates. There's only like four or five that live in the cold. So it's 
kind of been associated through media through all of our lives, that cold weather, but majority of them actually live in warm weather. So when it's too cold, they're actually not out in their habitat. They have a back, um, like an indoor weather, like climate controlled building with an additional pool. Um, so they'll be in, you know, they'll be in there. I think it has to be above freezing for them to come out. Also, because they don't know how to deal with a frozen uh, pool. So if when their pool freezes, they don't, they wouldn't know how to deal with ice. Um, so, you know, the keepers are really good at breaking all that ice up and making sure that that stays thawed. Um, and uh, so if the weather is above freezing, we start to give them access. So they have the choice to go out or stay in. Um, and then eventually it gets warm enough. Um, they'll be out all the time. And so they love the hot weather. They're from South Africa. So like that really, really hot weather um, is perfect for them. So they actually enjoy that um, probably more than we do. And uh, same with our giraffe, you know, from Africa. So he stays indoors um, while it's cold. You know, if April would co uh, cooperate, it, uh, he would start to get out a little bit more right now. Um, but then we have like the opposite where we have you know, animals that love the cold. Uh, we have a lynx who's built for cold weather and so would like the cold weather over the, the hot weather. And um, so the staff have ways to adjust either way. Animals could stay inside or when it gets too hot, they'll set up like sprinklers or ice baths or stuff um, for the animals to use to kind of get out of the heat. A lot of times animals too, they'll find shade maybe towards the back of their habitat and find their natural ways um, to cool down. Wow. I mean, I, I think the penguin thing's just throwing probably everybody right now. Yeah. I mean, mean everything yeah. that you read on the internet isn't true. <laughs> yeah. Right. Or yeah. that you read in like, books or see on TV growing up. Yeah. 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 Right. Because, uh, you know, I'm sure everybody as a kid, when they were first introduced to penguins, you know, they were talking about like the Antarctic type penguins that are, you know, at home in the ice and in and, and the frigid water and watching old cartoons like Chilly Willy. <laughs> Chilly Willy. <laughs> if you remember that one, Brad. Oh, I yeah. don't know. Uh, but aging uh, ourselves here, Mike. I know. But, you know, there's a lot of people who still watch those when even after um, those were over with. I know they were like made in the probably the 50s or something or the 40s. Um, but anyway, but yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting how different animals cope with different situations. And I kind of figured the giraffe, you know, would be more acclimated to warm weather. Um, but the penguins kind of threw me a little bit um, for sure. Yep. And it does. It throws a lot of people because we'll get people that come, you know, in the wintertime and they're like, where are the penguins? And we're like, they're inside. And they're like, what? <laughs> we're like, it's actually too cold. And yeah, so that's that's a big question that we get a lot, um, a lot of times. All right. Well, I noticed um, the um, you do have wolves at the zoo, correct? correct? Yep. Um, are they more acclimated to the cold weather i mean i know a lot of times i've gone there and i haven't actually seen them out there so i don't know if they're hiding in caves or um you know what what they're up to <laughs> yeah so they're mexican gray wolves so they actually come from more of a warmer climate but being wolves in the fur they you know they don't mind the cold weather and they a lot of them actually will enjoy the snow um so that actually, that habitat's one of my favorites. It's probably one of the most naturalistic habitats that we have. So they are able to utilize a lot of the places. Um, so they are also our most hands-off animal. Um, so the keepers are the most hands-off with them. They are part of a, a breeding program, which a lot of our animals are. Um, but their breeding program, because of how endangered they are, wants to keep them as least habituated to humans as possible. Um, so for that reason, a lot of times they will stay pretty far up in their um, habitat when guests are at the zoo. You know, they're not as used to having people around, so they kind of use their own um, way to kind of, you know, be separate or be away. We also have a new pack. Um, so over the last couple of years, we did have an older pack that unfortunately, as they aged and had issues, um, had passed away. But we have a younger pack now that's uh, three fem uh, one female and three males. Um, and so they've, I think they came in probably about a year ago. So it, it took them a little time to 
get habituated in the new, you know, their new environment, but they are a lot more active now than our other, our other pack is. So if you come, uh, come more recently, they're a little bit more visible and um, active when you come to the zoo. See, Brad, I brought up a sore subject. See, <laughs> the, the, the old pack got old and, and some had to pass away. So now I feel terrible. <laughs> I mean, no, it happens, you know, it's, you know, no, unfortunately we love animals to live forever, but you know, they don't. So, so, so is, do you guys have a contingency plan now at the zoo? I mean, um, well, I guess there's been a lot of, uh, uh, severe weather, whether it's been flooding or, you know, the cold and, you know, snowstorms, uh, even like, I guess, tropical systems. I mean, uh, what happens when there is some kind of a large scale, weather event like we're not just talking about a bad thunderstorm or something but like do you guys have plans for the animals like i guess you must yeah um so we are accredited by the association of zoos and aquariums so they also have a whole committee about making those plans um so it is a big part of our accreditation that we have to have all those plans in place um so the one that obviously impacts us the most is the snow um, even though we have, um, you know, the water around us, luckily we're high enough up that flooding doesn't tend to be an issue for the animals. It's more for, so for the staff, because all of our exits are, you have to go through water. Um, so it's more so of making sure that the staff can come and go from the zoo. Um, but for snow, or if it's like a tropical storm or a hurricane, you know, we have the staff that are watching that very closely for, you know, watching the forecast for the, probably at least a week leading up to it. They start to put generators out, um, you know, prep all the habitats, make sure they're all secure um, and kind of do all that. And then we do have staff that stay overnight um, for the snowstorms. They're out there shoveling in the middle of the night, making sure that they can have access to everything, trying to keep all the pathways clear. So you have like quarters for the staff to stay? Uh, yeah, and a lot of times they'll sleep in the office, so we have a big room that we use for programming that has a fireplace, so they'll kind of set that up and, you know, get down on um, some cots and kind of hang out in there. Uh, same thing for in the summertime, a tropical storm in case, you know, a tree would get knocked down or we lose power. Um, the staff have to go around and turn on all the generators or, you know, remove tree limbs and uh, check on everybody, make sure no one escaped or, you know, their, that their habitats weren't, um, impacted by any of the bad weather. Yeah. I didn't think of that, uh, idea there when, if you get severe weather coming through and, and trees get knocked down, well, what if one falls on a fence and then all of a sudden, you know, you have <laughs> hey zebras guys, I found a way running out. around. <laughs> The, but uh, yeah, that's interesting. Uh, that's something, you know, that we like to do here at Weatherworks with our storm alert forecast. You know, our clients aren't zoos. Um, however, you know, that's what we're doing for, you know, our road departments and things like that, um, where we're giving those forecasts of, for severe weather and for snow so they can plan their activities around everything. So um, it's interesting to see that the zoo kind of does the same sort of thing where they're, you know, constantly monitoring the weathers to, to keep everything safe at the, with the animals. Yep. And we do it for, for guests too. Like uh, we have a weather alert system in our main office that tracks how close lightning strikes are. Um, obviously we're an outdoor facility. So we do have even like a, we call it like a code weather. So we have drills that we, we run, there's a code. So if there's a lightning strike close enough to the zoo, we call code weather, you know, the staff, have animals that need to go in the giraffe being one of them um you know is kind of a tall thing that you don't really want to be out in um in bad weather so uh the keepers will go around and shift the animals in and the rest of the staff you know make sure that the guests are getting undercover or somewhere safe so it's whether it's a storm that's coming in a couple days or uh, the day of it is definitely something that we have to monitor very closely so I thought about the giraffe for a second. Um, can the giraffe get blown over by the, by the wind because he's so tall? Or or is it kind of like... He, not so much getting blown over, but being a, a lightning rod. Oh. Yeah. yeah. Come on, Mike. God, God I, I need to get off this podcast. Uh, <laughs> I didn't think of the lightning rod uh, for that. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, 
you know, it, it's funny when you do go to the draft area because you can see a, a, a like a really skinny, tall building there that he goes in, which is kind of neat. Um, but I was just curious, um, you know, I was thinking of a draft. I was thinking of him falling over, and I don't know why. But um, does he? the giraffes like to lay down if they're going to sleep or something like that? Or what do they do? So usually they don't. Um, they're usually stand uh, for most of their lives. We do have, um, you know, all giraffes are different. Um, so we have had giraffes that like to lay down. Um, and so I know initially if people say, see them laying down, it's a little odd. You don't expect to see a giraffe laying down. Um, but you know, they will do it. It's just not necessarily their average or normal choice, uh, or behavior, uh, probably cause more so out in the wild, if they lay down, they're a lot more vulnerable to predators and it, it's not something that they can necessarily get up real quick and, and go if they need to. Um, but obviously giraffe, um, in zoos don't need to worry about that. So, you know, they're able to be a little bit more comfortable to, uh, lay down when they want to. So let's circle back around to the weather topic. Um, you know, like I said in the, in the intro, you know, sometimes people talk about their pets. They, they, they act strangely beforehand, um, yeah, before a storm or something like that. Obviously we know that your penguins aren't going to be hanging out in the snowstorm. Um, uh, <laughs> but, um, what are there, do you see that at the zoo? Do you see some animals that you know, can sense like a thunderstorm is in, uh, coming or, or a big nor'easter or some big weather event? Do they, do they act differently? Yeah. Um, the draft being one of them, um, you can definitely, if there's like a big storm or weather event, um, you could probably, you know, see that they get a little bit more anxious. Um, some of them do. The draft are also just naturally anxious animals. Um, but the same way as we think with humans, uh, you can see in some of the geriatric animals that might have some arthritis, you can tell that the you know the arthritis starts acting up um, with the pressure, so you know there's definitely um, definitely ways that you can pick up on some weather coming with the animal's behavior. You'd think the the giraffe is, is his neck out. He probably could see the weather coming probably better than anyone else. <laughs> the first thing he actually sends off the alarm. Oh, that's my zoo joke. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's see, we need a trained giraffe. Here at Weatherworks, Brad. Yeah, that <laughs> keeps an eye out, hits the panic button when he sees the, the first signs of a storm, and we're all set. Yeah, no, that's a it's a great system. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. In my weird thoughts, yes, it's a great system, but maybe not in reality. Uh, yeah, let's go back to that when you were talking about the geriatric animals. I mean, in the arthritis, I mean, um, we we actually have uh, one of our coworkers and uh, one of our fellow meteorologists. Uh, uh, she has an old dog, and it, she always talks about you know there's more pain prior to the storms with her dog and the changing barometric pressure. I guess, and I guess the same thing would happen with that. Is there one animal that's more prone to this than others that you notice? Um, I wouldn't say species wise. Um, it was, again, we'll just probably be any of our animals that, you know, we know have like a history of arthritis. Um, like, you know, we had mentioned our, our wolves in the past that were older that had some arthritis. You could definitely tell that, um, you know, it, might be a little bit harder for them to, to get around. And, you know, like people always say, like, I can feel it in my knees. And so I'm sure they could feel it, you know, feel it as well. That's just amazing how, uh, you know, the animals are so much alike when it comes to humans and, and, you know, bad knees or arthritis and, um, you know, a lot of different, uh, I guess the heat would be just the same way. I mean, what about really, really hot weather? I mean, how do they, are they easier to, I mean, or I guess dehydration and things like that, because uh, I guess they're they're a lot less active too when it's hot during the summertime. Yeah, for sure. We actually usually tell guests that the best time to come to the zoo is probably almost like a day like today, where it's mild, the sun's not beating down. Because um, across the board, that's probably the best time. You know, the animals are going to be most active. Also, usually like first thing in the morning when the zoo just opens. Um, they'll probably be most active, but naturally people come to the zoo in the summer more so when it's hot. Um, so we do get some complaints where, you know, animals aren't visible or they're all laying down. 
Um, and our answer to that is usually like the animals, just like us, don't want to be running, you know, a marathon in, <laughs> in the heat. And they all naturally, you know, will go and find shade and lay down um, to escape it just like we would. You know, that's funny. You know, I understand, you know, people wanting to see the animals and upset that they don't see them or whatever. But really, I mean, what can you really do if the animal doesn't want to come? <laughs> hey, you tiger, get out here. <laughs> yeah, you know, show me, show, show yourself to my kid. <laughs> you know, it is. And I, I got to say, it seems like every time I've taken my kids to the zoo, for some reason, it's I picked the hottest day. And <laughs> it's when the animals are less active, obviously. And uh, I always end up just <laughs> getting to the uh, gift shop at the end. And I'm just like, oh, a little <laughs> bit of air conditioning. Yay. You know, but, <laughs> but um, man, it, it always seems like I pick a bad day, except when you have the lights uh, during the holiday season. Yeah. And then I usually for the lights end up picking like the coldest day. <laughs> Perfect perfect um yeah but i mean i guess we we also want to talk a little bit about um maybe it doesn't affect the zoo quite so much but maybe like hi hibernation tendencies i mean maybe some of your animals do hibernate um at the zoo there um but is there different tendencies to if a winter is more severe or anything like that, do they hibernate longer or, or uh, you know, how, how does that interact with the seasonal change? Yeah, um, so we do see that to a point um, with a lot of our animals. Um, so with them being under human care for their whole lives, you know, all the animals that we have are all, you know, born in zoos. They do lose a little bit of that natural like habitat or habit to you know, hibernate with the seasons. Um, so a lot of animals will do that in the wild because food is scarce. Um, so it's their natural way to survive like a harsh winter. Um, so again, with regular food um, and areas for warmth, they just don't really necessarily need to do that, but it's not removed from them completely. So um, we'll definitely see some, maybe like appetites slow down um, with some of our animals. We will do like seasonal changes to their diet that would mimic what their diet would look like um, in the wild seasonally. So um, if an animal needs to like bulk up for the winter, you can definitely see their appetite change leading up to the winter. So we'll monitor and change um, the diet accordingly um, and vice versa. A lot of our reptiles or the, you know, um, they slow down in the, you know, in the winter time. So their appetite will decrease as well. So it's, um, while they might not actually go hide away for the winter, there's definitely still uh, signs of that natural um, behavior to adjust seasonally. Um, so you talked a little bit about reptiles. I know there's a, uh, a reptile uh, building. So even though they're in that controlled habitat, they, they still have some sort of, you know, adjustment to the season. Yeah. Um, and our animals that we use for programming are also in a controlled uh, room and we have a lot of reptiles. We also used to have a groundhog um, in that room. And even though they're not necessarily, you know, that room stays the same temperature year round, um, but we could see behavior changes in all of them. Their diet will change. The groundhog, her behavior would change. She, we actually, a lot of times we wouldn't use her on programming for the whole winter because um, she was used to sleeping and, doesn't want to be disturbed and she would let us know that she doesn't want to be disturbed um so yeah even though they're in a climate controlled we can't completely um you know get rid of that natural instinct all right so share uh how does the extended periods of rain or or if there's like a flooding event how does that impact the animals those that kind of burrow or maybe even live underground do they relocate rebuild? I mean, you guys helped them rebuild? I mean, what, what happens in that situation? Uh, so we kind of let them naturally do their thing. The only things that we have that burrow, we had uh, some prairie dogs. Um, and so they will, they kind of have their own burrow system that they would in the wild. And so they have different chambers and paths that they can go into. Um, 
you know, that they can naturally kind of escape what they need to. So that's the, I mean, are there any other animals that I guess would be, I mean, I, you guys probably bring them in and stuff anyway, when there's going to be some flooding, but is there any, any more susceptible animals than others? Um, I don't, yeah, I don't really think so. I think luckily the zoo as a whole is pretty high up. So we don't usually have to, yeah, I don't usually have to worry about flooding too much. Yeah. Well, that's, that's good. That's always good. Well, um, we did have a question here about birds flying south, but I guess um, that wouldn't really happen uh, <laughs> in the enclosure there at the zoo. I know it's like a, a bird uh, area um, where they're inside, um, but um, I, I guess um, do you still, I don't know, do they still try to do that even though they're in the cages? Well, how true is that, though? Again, let, let's, you know, the penguin thing, kind of messed me up too maybe birds don't fly south. maybe they don't uh so they do but a lot of times they'll fly south um for warmer weather if they can't deal with the cold or for like different food sources um so a lot of times too if they have that controlled in their environment then they wouldn't have uh, the need to go south okay so there we go so we don't have a bunch of birds just like flying into the fence <laughs> trying to get out of their enclosure. <laughs> oh man. Um so a good good thing we don't have that going on cuz that would definitely not be this a good site for the kids out there. Uh. All right, so so here here's a here's a question now and and this is something that's of course becoming more front and center in in weather and and the outlooks and you know weather in the future now concerns about climate change i mean are there potential impacts that may have the on the animals there i mean is there heat stress you know delayed frost and freeze season anything like that that you've noticed since your time there or maybe something that's, that zoo may be preparing for um i won't say we're necessarily preparing for it but it's definitely something that you can notice i think um same thing with you know us and the climate changing. I feel like this month is a perfect example of the, about that a little bit, you know, and so I think it just kind of goes along with, you know, some of the animals might have to be inside longer than they're used to, or, you know, it's probably going to make it a little bit more difficult for the keepers that have maybe a longer, hotter summer that they have to work through to, you know, keep the animals cool. Um, you know, we have some longer, hotter stretches that you know, require a lot more work from the keepers to make sure that all the animals are, you know, not getting overheated. So I think those are some of like the minor, um, I guess you can call them minor changes or fluctuations we would see. Um, and then a big part of what my department does is trying to educate um, the community about that and make that connection and um, create that empathy and knowledge about what, how that impacts animals more so in the wild but how it impacts pretty much everybody um and you know like ways that we can do that and so we do use those animals as ways to help make that connection um because a lot of the animals especially the ones that live in those warmer climates their habitats are being you know impacted by the weather um and you know the we don't have ocean animals really but that i mean the penguins too like they actually are really suffering from overheating down in south africa because of um, you know, the changes in climate. So, um, yeah, I think we have that good opportunity to kind of talk to people about that and hopefully, you know, make some connections and impacts with people. But yeah, I think across the board, it's going to be, you know, similar changes that you'll see, um, that you see with just, you know, humans and us in our everyday well, lives. Well, well, we have added a new, uh, new month to the calendar. It's now 13 months in the year and it's called January, April. So, and, and and really, I guess December you can add another one. Uh, it seems like we we're getting later and later this any kind of winter. We'll, we'll get a quick shot of winter in late October, uh, time for Halloween. Then before you know it, it's warm again until uh, till January. So, I, I don't. These patterns are are messed up. And I've something I've noticed just in my lifetime being in weather now for twenty plus years. It's just it, 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 there is definitely something going on that's not the same as it was when I first started weather. So that's for sure. Oh, for sure. And this actually this month and this cold weather um, is impacting the education department. We do we usually start doing programming outside. Uh, the schools start to pick up and, 
you know, we're actually started looking ahead at next week, and it looks like it's back in the 50s all week. Um, a lot of our animals that we use for programming, it has to be a minimum of 65 outside. So we're trying to scramble and figure out where we move these schools and, you know, how we do programming that requires animals when it's too cold outside. And it's uh, not something that we usually um, have to do with this time of year. Yeah, Brad, I think the month you're looking for was on The Simpsons. What they call it? Smarch? Lousy oh, yeah, smarch yeah, the, weather? Yeah, pop up. Yeah, lousy smarch weather. Yeah, it's true. Smarch, you know, January, April, or whatever you want to call it. It's it's like all combined into late winter, early spring into one season. I would have to agree with you, Brad, especially here in the Northeast. Um, I feel like we're getting more snow events later than I ever really remember. Yeah, I mean, maybe there was that one or, or, or two when I was smaller or a kid. But, uh, you know, maybe it's me just being more observant of the weather because that's what I do um but I gotta say I mean I even liked weather when I was a kid and I don't remember it snowing in any fashion you know it, well, it in, just in lingers April. and it just yeah and so it's, it's quite interesting what changes does that throw the animals for a loop though I guess Cher I mean do you see any difference like when you do have a uh like this year you know spring just doesn't want to get going and linger or the winter wants to linger forever and i guess like you said you can't do um the outdoor stuff it's just i mean do you see other animals that are impacted by this you know the animals are probably especially the ones that are in for the winter are just as antsy as the for the warm weather as we are and you know you get those teasing days where you know they get to come out and are happy and excited and get that vitamin D and then then they have to go back in for, you know, like two weeks. And um, so, yeah, I think it's, again, it parallels us for a lot of that where it's, you, you just want to be out. You feel kind of, you know, needing that seasonal depression to go away and uh, wanting to be outside and you get teased by it for a little bit. <laughs> so I guess like uh, that's the, the theme here. Yeah. Think about how you feel. Um, just because we're humans doesn't mean, you know, <laughs> the animals are and us are affected, you know, differently. If we're hot, a lot of times the animal is hot and not happy either. Or if they're cold, they're cold too, you know? <laughs> so, you know, unless you're an acclimated animal like a polar bear or something, but obviously you don't have polar bears at the Lehigh Valleys. <laughs> yeah, no, that's... We'll, we'll pass over. Yeah, we'll, we'll pass one. on those guys. Um, <laughs> but um, I guess we're talking about a lot of weather changes out there. Um, but what about change in general? Like um, if, you know, a, an animal passes away in an, in an enclosure that they're used to, um, or, you know, do the animals react to that? Do they, or an introdu introduction to a new animal, uh, uh, you know, the same wolf or whatever the gray wolf you know how how do they i guess how do they deal with that change do do they freak out when a new <laughs> wolf arrives or <laughs> how does it work uh yeah so they absolutely are impacted by that and a big part of the process both on both sides of that um if an animal passes away that is in with you know multiple animals of that species it's something that the keepers have to monitor closely and uh, monitor the behavior and how the other animals are adapting to that loss, um, you know, and what type of changes they can make uh, to help that animal through that. And then if we bring in a new animal, there's a long process of uh, introductions. So it's, you know, we don't just put them together. Um, a lot of times, a lot of times it's getting them close where they can smell each other, see each other, but still have a barrier you know, monitoring that, see how well they do. And then there's kind of like steps where maybe they're only together for a couple hours a day while, you know, while keepers can monitor them and then they get separated at night um, until, you know, everyone's kind of feeling comfortable that they're getting along. Um, but to a point, you know, and we do let them do their thing um, as long as it's not getting out of control because some of that's also a natural way for animals to introduce each other um, to a new animal. So 
it's a big part of knowing the natural history and the natural behavior of that animal. So you know kind of what to let them do and also kind of when you need to step you in. Know, you know, uh, uh, something we've started to watch, uh, and, and really I guess it's been going on for a couple of years now, um, I don't know if you're uh, aware of it, but the secrets of the zoo, and it's it's basically a day or day to day business of uh, the Tampa Bay Zoo and behind the scenes, basically. And, and I'm I'll tell you, we're watching it. It's just uh, it's very interesting what goes on with each animal and, and the different lifestyles that they all have. I mean, is there any comparison to that? I don't know if you watched the show or not. Oh, yeah. I, I watch it. I think that's one of the things about people in this field is you don't necessarily get sick of it. I, you know, I enjoy watching it and seeing how other zoos function. When I go on vacation, I always have to visit whatever zoo or, you know, aquariums in the area. Um, so you're like but, a weather yeah, dork like us, but you use yeah. the best animals. <laughs> yeah. My husband doesn't always understand that. He's like, you do this every yeah, day. Yeah. Why is this what you want to do on vacation? I'm talking about the weather enough. <laughs> still enjoy it um yeah so it's it definitely mirrors i feel like a lot of facilities are very similar um especially ones that are all fall under the accreditation um because they're the ones that set a lot you know pretty much all the standards across the board so all of the zoos that are accredited need to follow those standards um obviously scale wise like the bronx zoo and uh tampa bay or tampa zoo is a lot larger uh than lehigh valley zoo is so you know, the scale is different and, you know, the size of some of the animals are different, but overall it's, you know, that behind the scenes stuff is happening yeah. everywhere. Mike, have you ever seen that show yet? Or I have not. No. Um, yeah. It's, it's, I think Disney carries it, right? Is it on the streams on Disney? Yeah. That's where we watch it. Um, it's, it's really national geographic, but I think it's the third season and boy, I'll tell you, it is so interesting uh, to, to watch uh, how things go with each animal and, and it's just, each each animal is so different in how they, you know, react to different things and what they're they're doing with the, each of them every single day. It's so cool. Yeah, it's really neat. Um, that's one of the things that we talk about when people want to get into this field. And I think way back when you think of like a zookeeper and all they're doing is feeding the animal and picking up poop. <laughs> yeah. <it's not>. Um, <laughs> And, you know, and like, oh, you know, people, we still probably get comments like, you need to go to college, otherwise you're going to be scooping poop at a zoo. <laughs> um, but we require, like, college degrees, and it's a lot more, you know, of the psychology and knowing natural behavior of animals. And, um, it, yeah, it's, it takes a lot of work and commitment, for sure, to be able to do all that background stuff. It runs along the lines of weather. I mean, it's not a nine-to-five job. I'm sure your hours change, uh, you know we're at the mercy of the weather. If it's nice, sure, we can get away with the nine to five where you get your forecast shift out of the way and you're done by noon. But, you know, in the wintertime, especially our, our, our schedules change a lot. And sometimes they turn into 12 hour shifts and just like animals, they're alive all day. They got to get taken care of at certain other times of the days as well. Yep, absolutely. Especially in, you know, the keepers, I'm sure are very excited that the winter hopefully is coming to an end because, yeah, you know, not only are they taking care of the animals, there's snow removal, and they're the ones that are staying overnight. So you could, you know, you're there for potentially 48 hours working and, you know, up every couple hours checking on animals. Um, and holidays, too. Um, you know, you don't get holidays off. I'm sure that probably is mirrors you guys as yeah, well. Yeah, the weather and stuff just because it's Christmas. No, we're not going to snow today. Don't worry. Nobody cares. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And so we say that, you know, animals still need to eat and uh, for sure. So I guess um, one of our last questions is, is there any real notable weather events that happened during your time at the zoo that you just found that um, was just an extreme event that was that was really you know, difficult to deal with? Um, luckily, I haven't had a massive one um besides just whatever big snowstorms that we um we get i was not there yet for hurricane sandy and i know that was um impacted the zoo pretty pretty big um i know i think they were um didn't have water for you know i think like a lot of people didn't have water for a couple of days and trying to figure out you know how to do that how to, you know the animals still need fresh water you know you need water to flush the toilets and you know all that stuff and clean the enclosures so um i know that was a big struggle and a lot of times if we think the power is going to go out we will fill 
like prepare, like we'll fill whatever buckets we can find with water ahead of time. Um, but, you know, obviously Hurricane Sandy was more than you could prepare for naturally with how long uh, of an impact that was. Yeah, for sure. I mean, um, you know, one of the recent events I could just think of is uh, the recent blizzard we have. Brad, when, when was that? Back in uh, uh, 2019, was it? Or 2018 or 19, yeah, the, the big yeah, one. Yeah, where we yeah. had like three days of snow and there was like three feet. <laughs> so, yeah, and that's the those keepers are a lot of times it's the same keepers. You get to work, um, even if you weren't scheduled that day, but you know the snow is coming, a lot of them will come, you know, get there seven o'clock at night um, for their shift the next day, stay over. And um, if you've ever been near the game preserve, we are usually the last ones sh uh, plowed out. So uh, then those keepers are stuck there because no one can get there and no one can leave. So they end up working, you know, potentially, uh, you know, three days in a row because they can't get any relief. Yeah, so it's mainly a, uh, you know, removal issue and maybe not so much of the animal issue when it comes to big snows like that. Yeah, a uh, removal issue and a power issue, um, you know, being out um where you know all the electricity runs through the preserve so trees on power lines is a big you know a big issue so being there you know for snow removal making sure that the snow isn't too heavy on any of the enclosures and um, making sure that that stays off of it um, is a big part as well as making sure all the the um, generators and are up and running um, if need be. I just had one question too. Um, on your way out, isn't there bison or something that are in the fields? Um, and yeah, yep. We've okay. Got bison and um, elk. I guess they're just cool on their own out there. They don't. They don't need a place to kind of shelter in or anything like that. Or how does that work? Yeah, and they're they're kind of a unique situation. So they're actually owned by the county. They're not um, owned by the zoo, um, but our keepers take care of them. Um, so, but yeah, they have pretty large um, like ha natural habitats out on the preserve. So they're you know, and both of those animals are pretty well adjusted to or built for colder climates and the snow. Um, the bison probably love the snow. Um, but the keepers do, that is part of their rounds during bad weather is making sure that none of those fencing, the fences are compromised um, at all. So that is um, still part of a lot of that bad weather prep. Yeah, I was thinking of um, um, the goats at the zoo. And I know, you know, the stereotype is that goats eat just about anything. Yeah, this is kind of like an off the wall uh, type question because I I'm just curious. And now that I have somebody who knows about this, um you know what's like the craziest thing you saw one of these goats eat um oh that's a hard question because they do eat everything um so i think you know we try as best as we can to stick them to their diet but um you know they'll eat pamphlets you know brochures that people have or you know kids are holding stuff over or their shirt you know, they, again, they will pretty much try to eat everything, um, during our winter lights, uh, same thing. There's like s'mores and stuff down there. So I'm sure they get hold of some of that stuff or a hot dog <laughs> or, um, pretty much whatever they can get their hands on. We do, you know, have staff kind of out through the zoo as much as we can to monitor and make sure that none of the animals are eating stuff they're not supposed to, but the goats are probably one of the trickier ones because we do offer goat feeding. Um, we just have to make sure that they're getting fed the correct things. So, so, so why is it that the goats just want to eat anything? Is there a reason? I actually don't know the answer to that question. <laughs> I'm just curious. Like, why, why do they see a pamphlet and they just think to themselves, well, you know what? That might be tasty. Let's go for it. Uh, yeah, I actually, I really don't have an answer for that. That's it's like you, I Mike. You don't know when your next meal is oh. coming, so you got to eat as much. Uh, yeah, you might see me picking up some grass outside and you know throwing a little dressing on it. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but yeah, I, I brought that question up because I think uh, one of the times I was there during the uh, 
the pandemic, and I know we're still dealing with it in some respects, um, but I believe it was either a goat or something like that that uh, might have ate somebody's mask. <laughs> Um, that was our ostrich, actually. One of the ostrich did eat a mask. Um, so I know we had to, like, you know, block it off. Oh, my goodness. Um, ostriches aren't necessarily the easiest animals to get your hands on, um, or the safest. Um, but yeah, they had to pretty much go out and, um, you know, have some meat and be able to go in and check. and, And yeah, they eventually pulled... A mask out. I think you know ostriches are probably very similar to goats in that manner, where they're just curious and will potentially eat anything that they can get their mouth yeah, on. And it's surprising when you do see an ostrich how big an ostrich actually is. <laughs> yeah, they are. They're pretty intense. I think they also we usually say they're up there on one of our most dangerous animals um, at the zoo. Uh, they can run pretty fast, and they're their kicks are no joke. I bet. I mean, I, I mean, I know when I have seen them there, I, I was kind of intimidated by it. I was not to lie. I was like, man, I don't know about this guy. He looks like he's up to no good. <laughs> so, so, um, but I mean, along those lines, I mean, has there been any other challenges uh, with the pandemic at the zoo? Yeah, actually, I think, too, trying to get people to understand, we do still have um, mask mandates in in place for a lot of our staff, uh, our animal staff. Um, so the pandemic is a zoonotic disease, so it's something that can get um, transmitted from human to animal and um, easier, I think, than a lot of people thought initially. And I know a lot of zoos have unfortunately lost animals um, that have, you know, caught that and so as research has been coming out what animals are more susceptible or easier to catch it um there's a lot of uh protect like protective gear including masks that staff have to still wear um to this day so i know for a little bit trying to you know get the guests to understand while you know mask mandates might be dropped um we still have them in place for some close quarters or you know close encounters with animals um, because they're, you know, they're still susceptible and we luckily were actually able to vaccinate a good handful of them, but there's also not a whole lot of research about how effective the vaccine is yet. Um, so we're still having to, um, you know, do a lot of that work to continue to protect them. Wow. So they have animal vaccines for COVID. Yeah. And, um, cause I mean, people like said like COVID different strains of COVID have been around for a while and usually mostly in animals. Um, so, you know, I think they probably to a point had some basis there of, you know, a vaccine. Um, so just kind of like our vaccine, it probably didn't take too, too long to develop, but there wasn't so much research about the effectiveness. So again, another thing that kind of mirrors what we've gone through. Wow. So Man, uh, this is a really interesting conversation. Brad, do you have any more off-the-wall questions to ask animal-wise? Are you sure? I know that you always seem to like talking about a skink. Uh. Oh, oh, you're right. You know what? I, well, again, when I went to the Philadelphia Zoo a couple of years ago, the first time I went down there, and I, I was the first time I've seen a skink. And I was, uh, I was just uh, amazed by this little reptile animal. And, and I came back to the office, and I was like, I said, hey, Mike, do you know what a skink is? And he's like, come on. You, you can't talk about that stuff. I was like, no, it's an <laughs> So for some reason, I got on I got on thinking about skink. Do you have any skinks at Lehigh Valley Zoo? Yeah, we actually have three different species of them. Um, the most common, I think people know, over the, the blue-tongued skink. Uh, so we do have one of those um, as an education animal. We also have a shingleback skink as an education animal. They kind of just look like giant pine cones. Um, and we actually named ours, uh, Dwayne the Rock Johnson because it looks like kind of a rock and that's their like way that they, you know, camouflage. So that's a fun thing that we can do is when we choose names for them. Um, and then we have some other, um, like prehensile tail skinks. So they 
spend a lot of time in the trees. They have a prehensile tail like monkeys do that acts as like a fifth limb for them. Yeah, they're yeah, pretty cool. I, I just, I, they're, they look like they're interesting. So I had to start looking them up and like got all affiliated <laughs> so, with skinks. And... So uh, yeah, hopefully The Rock is not listening to this program. And you, you have something in common <laughs> with a skink, uh, Rock. So, uh, <laughs> but... Um, Yes, he would be proud, I'm sure. He should drop into his uh, IM or something, or his DMs, and uh, say, hey, do you know there's a skink named after you at the Lehigh Valley Zoo? He'd probably be like... And he's he's locally, I think he's from, like, Bethlehem or right? Freedom. He went to Freedom right? High School, I think, so he should, just needs to come home and come Yes, exactly. That's your in, you see? We, we, could, we could talk to him about this. We could be like, that, you know yeah. about the Lehigh Valley Zoo, of course from the area um but um anyway is there anything that uh you guys are super excited about at the zoo that uh maybe you're getting a new animal or anything like that anything on the horizon here that uh you know is really exciting yeah um we're actually i think may 1st about to break ground on a new habitat um we've always had uh some mongoose lemurs at the zoo um they're harder to see uh, where they are now, and um, we eventually would like to breed. So we're about to break ground on a fairly large new habitat that will house um, the lemurs that we have, hopefully give us some space to one day have some baby lemurs. Uh, there'll be some tortoises in there, um, and they're also another animal that in the wintertime guests didn't get to see because they would go indoors. Um, but with n this new habitat, there will be an indoor area for them to be that's still viewable um, to guests throughout the, you know, the colder months. So that's a big, our big capital fundraiser that's going on right now. Um, it's pretty much a huge focus of what uh, is going on in the zoo currently. Cool. So I guess before we leave here, um, why don't you just give a quick plug about the Lehigh Valley Zoo, where people can find you and, uh, and all that good stuff. Great. Uh, yeah, so we are located uh, in Schnecksville. It's just a little bit north of Allentown on 309. Uh, we're in the middle of a beautiful game preserve. So a lot of times we tell guests you can come visit the zoo, the do a lap around the zoo. Yep, uh, the Trexler Game Preserve. Um, and then go out and hike and enjoy some of those trails. Um, if the weather will start getting warmer, I think spring is a great time also to come to the zoo. Again, not too hot, so animals should be a little bit more active. Uh, and we have a lot of exciting things um, coming on, like the new, again, the new exhibit coming. Um, and I think we've got some great plans over the next couple years, new programming. Um, there's a lot of exciting things to do. So, and it's a, it's a great day trip. It's not, you know, you could probably enjoy the zoo in two or three hours. So it's not something you have to commit a full day to. Well, I think that about does it for our podcast. So, you know, share. Thanks a lot uh, for being on this. Yeah, thank you so much. That is it uh, for the Weather Lounge podcast for this week. Uh, keep in mind, we'll have a new podcast every two weeks. So please be sure to check those out. And also you can visit WeatherWorks at weatherworksinc.com and all our social media channels by just searching WeatherWorks. And as always, please, 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 Give a nice um, like to our podcast and a review of our podcast, too. That really helps push our show forward. So that's it for this week. And thanks for listening to us on Weatherland.